How's everybody doing? I hope you're having a fantastic day. Hoping your Lent's going really good right now. Remember uh, to remember to do penance. Uh, it's a season of penance. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas says that there are two reasons that we do penance, uh, release that we fast. Uh, on the one hand, it satisfies for sin. On the other hand, it raises the mind to contemplate spiritual things better. So if you uh, strongly uh, practice uh, Lenten fasting uh, throughout these 40 days, uh, you, you will be much better disposed to uh, to this entire series, really, um, to, to frequently um, step away from your attachment to material things will make you a better theologian um, or at least student of theology. Um, I, don't, I don't think we should take to ourselves the, the name of theologian yet. Uh, but yeah, so that I guess that's how I'm beginning uh, this stream. So if you're listening to this later and it's not during Lent, uh, still do your Friday fast, your Advent fast, and your vigil fasts uh, before major feast days. But I digress. So today, uh, we're, we're, we've moved into our second section on this after all of the prolog fun prolegomena stuff that we talked about. So now we're going to actually be moving into looking at the history of this question, because I've mentioned it in, in brief outline a bit, but I haven't mentioned it in specifics too much. But we're going to see what happened with Suarez, what happened with Lugo, what happened with the Samantachensis. Uh, how, how did they depart from St. Thomas's doctrine? Because we've already established uh, what St. Thomas's doctrine was last week and how St. Thomas thought of these things. But we're going to see as these various thinkers depart from St. Thomas, they're going to depart from clear thinking uh, when it comes to this problem. And we're going to see that the, the options they give uh, due to just the, the, the simple disagreement with St. Thomas, uh, the, they're going to have to swallow uh, a lot of very tough pills to swallow and give arguments uh, that from, from brilliant thinkers, uh, nonetheless, but arguments that are less than satisfying. Or if you just uh, keep yourself rooted in submission uh, to the church and then also to her common doctor, uh, you, you see that a lot of these issues uh, dissipate, uh, even while you may have some difficulty understanding some of the aspects uh, of these issues. Uh, it, it's a much a better option to to keep your fidelity uh, to St. Thomas um, and be like St. Uh, uh, John of St. Thomas, uh, who actually at the end of his life stood before the Blessed Sacrament uh, as he was dying and swore that he had never uh, knowingly taught anything contrary to the doctrine of St. Thomas. Um, and it's something which is which is crucial, and and we see something like uh, like this uh, sort of history I'm going to be outlining for you is going to be something that happens a lot of different times. Is you have various thinkers who depart from Saint Thomas in in one or other aspect and try to um, bring about eclecticism, which eclecticism isn't bad in itself, uh, but it can be dangerous. Um, they, they they try to. Uh, they try to satisfy their eclectic spirit, and it, it ends up resulting in confusion, uh, very much confusion. And, and we see this here. So uh, before before I get started, uh, if if you're listening to this, you're, you're probably one of the faithful remnant who are who are working through such a series. You're you're probably not like um, like the sort of normal listener who are just going to kind of hop on for some some. Uh, 
Q and A's or whatever, and, and just listen for fun. Probably uh, more more invested uh, when it comes to Catholic theology. So so definitely, if you if you do appreciate stuff like this, you you, you do want me to keep doing uh, multiple videos a week that are that are deep sort of series types things, and then occasionally I want to do longer form videos that are uh, that are like this. Um, if, if you appreciate that, uh, then definitely consider uh, becoming a patron uh, because. Uh, I, I believe in, in the sort of uh, mission of, of, of what I'm doing uh, when it comes to bringing about the, the riches of the scholastic tradition, uh, again, to, to uh, younger people uh, and also, I guess, to older people as well, uh, whoever, whoever's able to listen. So um, if you want to support that mission and you believe in it as well, uh, because I'm sure if you're investing this much time into watching something like this, you probably do believe in it. Uh, definitely consider uh, becoming a patron. Um, subscribe star I also have, but that's not as popular. Um, but thank you uh, for, for your consideration uh, anyways. So let's get right into it. So as, as a point of introduction, uh, generally when it comes to the evolution of Catholic dogma, there's going to be these four propositions. And I'm sorry that I didn't write them on the screen. Uh, maybe I should have, but I hope you guys have good memories. So there's going to be four propositions that all Catholic theologians generally are going to agree upon. So first is that Catholic doctrine, that is Catholic teaching, is made up of first, formally or immediately revealed truths. We, we talked about this last uh, week, formally and immediately revealed truths. And on the second, uh, on the other hand, there is also truths that are virtually or immediately revealed truths. So if you go all the way back to some of our uh, prolegomena uh, episodes talking about uh, things like discourse and, and elation, you're going to see that these formally uh, or immediately revealed truths for St. Thomas and then for um, the early scholastics before some of the disaster that happens with Suarez, formally and immediately, that's going to be those truths which basically kind of got to clarify and define. So the word was made flesh. You change that to God became man. Uh Changing word became flesh to God became man. Uh, you're more sharply defining uh, really what your terms and, and that's kind of going from flesh to, okay, what does flesh mean? Investigate the concept of flesh. Okay, that's talking about uh, human nature. And then virtually revealed truths is going to be taking those things that are formerly revealed and then drawing a true conclusion from it. So if I went from the word was made flesh to God became man, uh, that's a formal uh formal elation right there. And then I take the extra step of drawing a concept forth that's uh, that's distinct from uh, the concept that's revealed in scripture. So for example, uh, but implicitly contained in it. Uh, if, I, if I drew out that Christ was risible, uh, that, that Christ uh, had, the, had the ability to laugh because that is a property of human nature and that, that flows forth from it. So uh, everybody's gonna agree that Catholic doctrines made up of the, those two um, aspects. Okay, then on the second hand, everybody agrees that formally or immediately revealed truths specify the object of faith. So those things that are formally revealed uh, have uh, are, are the object of faith. The third is going to be that those that are virtually or immediately revealed are going to specify the object of theology. In theology, we go from those things that are formally revealed to draw out all of the conclusions present therein. 
And then on the fourth hand, everybody's going to agree that the infallibility of the church has uh, both uh, the formally and immediately revealed truths and the virtually immediately revealed truths as the object of its infallibility. So the church can infallibly uh, decide on both issues. The first one we'll, we'll, we'll call it primarily, and the second one we're going to call secondarily, uh, because the the, the primary uh, the, the the primary task of the church isn't to declare as many conclusions as it possibly can; it's to teach uh, those that are formally revealed. So everybody agrees on those four. So how do we have disagreement? How 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 can we bring about disagreement? Well, the, the disagreement comes in with how we're defining our terms. So uh, the, the sort of uh, meta-narrative, uh, and I hate that term meta-narrative, but I guess the, the, the narrative that, that is going to uh, underlie all of, of what we're going to be talking about historically is going to be an equivocation that occurs on the term virtual. So the meaning of this term virtual was in the early 17th century changed by Suarez. And we're going to we're going to see that through a bit of a direct analysis of his text. But Suarez added a distinction. This is something Suarez does. He, he added a distinction on a controverted question, which led to many people uh, throughout the history of theology and almost all theologians after his time of taking virtual in a different sense. And therefore, these four propositions become confused, and people take them in different senses. So in order to kind of unravel this problem, we're going to need to look back at how uh, virtual is used in its many different uh, contexts. So uh, first, we're going to look at St. Thomas. And oh, earlier I did say that we looked at St. Thomas's teaching on this last week. For some reason, I confused it. Uh, we're we're going to be looking at it uh, this week. So uh, St. Thomas is going to provide us with a very helpful analogy because St. Thomas, uh, he's going to look at, since he's both a philosopher and a theologian, and because this is his theological method, he's going to look at natural truths as revealing uh, for us uh, supernatural truths. So for St. Thomas, there's going to be a, and, and uh, for, for uh, simplicity's sake, I'm not going to keep saying virtual slash mediate, formal slash immediate. I'm just going to say virtual formal. Sorry. So uh, for St. Thomas, he's going to have a virtual and a formal uh, understanding in our natural knowledge as well, which he's going to build as his basis uh, for talking about it when it comes to his supernatural knowledge. So due to the imperfection of our intellects, there are two ways in which we can know something. So first, we can know something through simple understanding. So in, in simple understanding, all we need to do is analyze the notions in the judgment. So we don't need any sort of reasoning process uh, in order to uh, understand in this way. So for example, uh, if I look at the proposition John is a man, if I go from John as a man to John as a rational animal, 
I'm understanding that by simple understanding. I didn't need any sort of uh, deductive process uh, in order to to reason through multiple layers of reasoning to find out that John is a rational animal if I already know that John is a man. So in this, there is said to not be any sort of intervention of a middle term. So uh, if you if you remember a bit of your elementary logic, uh, when it comes to uh, syllogisms, which are the third act of the intellect, when it comes to this this discourse, you are able to learn new things about a, a certain judgment through the intervention of a middle term. So Socrates is a man, men are mortal, therefore Socrates is mortal. Through the through the intervention of that middle term of mortality, I learned something new about Socrates, who is a man. That is, I learned that he is mortal. But with, with, when it comes to this simple understanding, there is no middle term. I, I don't need to be given another judgment. I don't need to be given a third term. I don't need to be given this middle term in order to draw forth a new judgment. It, it's something which is a simple understanding of the concepts that are present. Now, on the other hand, we can know something through discourse. In discourse, we do bring forth that other concept, that middle term, in order to mediate for us. We bring, we, we're combining together two judgments rather than just analyzing the judgment we have. So again, um, if I went from John as a man to John as mortal and the, the intervention of all men are mortal uh, as, the, as the middle term, that would be uh, something where I am required to bring in a separate uh, judgment, completely separated from the judgment that, that I had made. So for St. Thomas, there's going to be an analogy uh, when it comes to theology. So for theology, though that, that simple understanding, those principles of simple understanding, which we, which we clarify, those are going to be uh, formally expressed as the object of faith, and they're going to be immediately revealed, uh, immediately grasped from the revealed judgment. So you can get this language of why we call it formal slash uh, immediate, because it's immediately grasped and it's formally expressed. So when we, uh, it, it's kind of like the uh, process that we go in with, with our example with John, from John as a man to John as a rational animal. There's no uh, sort of inclusion of any extraneous matter uh, in order to draw forth this conclusion. It's the same way when it comes to formally revealed truths is those formally revealed truths are immediately grasped. We don't need the mediation of any other sort of uh, extraneous matter in order to understand these. On the second hand, in theology, so rather than in faith, like we talked about uh, in, the, in the first example, but in theology, in the science of theology, we take these formal truths and we add terms. We add other judgments other judgments that are revealed to us uh, in, in reason. And we, we begin to grasp new judgments that are immediately revealed. They're revealed, well, they're immediately grasped. They're grasped through the mediation of, of, of a different truth. And they are virtually expressed in the revealed deposit. So this is St. Thomas's teaching right here. And this is relatively simple. 
I mean, if you just think about the way in which your natural knowledge works, yeah, of course. This is the this is just the way we go about things. This is really again the the strength of of Saint Thomas Aquinas's uh, philosophy, and then generally his theology. It's it's really just a it's a philosophy of common sense. Yeah, of course, this is how we uh, grasp certain propositions. We can either do it immediately or we can do it immediately. It can either be formally expressed or it can be virtually expressed. Once you explain the terms, these actually become relatively easy to understand and relatively intuitive. But Suarez uh, really is, is, is a landmark theologian uh, when it comes to this question. This is in his uh, De Fide uh, Disputation 3, Section 11. And the title is whether virtual or immediate revelation suffices for the formal object of faith. And he subtitles it where study is made of the formal distinction between the objects of faith and theology. So uh, in explaining the question, he says whether a proposition inferred by discourse from two principles of faith or from a principle of faith and another natural premise is to be held by faith. So Suarez is discussing explicitly this question of the evolution of Catholic dogma. So he, he's really asking whether the revealed data in coming into contact with human learning has the same value as the original premise. That, that's really in sum what he's asking. So following the Thomistic tradition, because we're, we're going to get some interesting notes on, on the, uh, Suarez's temperament in theology, but following the Thomistic tradition, Suarez is going to distinguish between two parts of the question, uh, as we've talked about before. So, the first part is the question of whether um, it is of faith before the definition of the church. So this is going to be in contradiction to the Scotists and the nominalists who are going to say that uh, that virtual, uh, that the conclusions, uh, theological conclusions, sorry, I don't know, all the terms are mixing together in my head, that theological conclusions before the definition of the church are going to be something which are of faith. And second, he's going to ask the question, whether it is of faith after the definition of the church. And this is going to be in discussion with Molina. So concerning the second question, he he basically says like, yeah, all theologians agree on this besides Molina. He, he doesn't even list the theologians actually, which is something which is rare in, uh, in second scholasticism, uh, scholasticism. In second scholasticism, they'll list every single person ever to, to have existed, ever to hold any position. It's It's crazy. You'll get like, 90 uh, I'm, I'm being hyperbolic but like 90 percent uh listing what everybody else believes and then a little blurb on what you believe uh, it's kind of funny um so what you have to understand about suarez's theological temperament is on the one hand suarez was a very very orthodox traditional thinker when it came to stuff everybody agreed upon so where there was solid uh, theological agreement, or obviously uh, when it was a matter of, of the faith of the church, Suarez was extremely traditional. Uh, you have to give it to him, extremely traditional thinker. Now, on the other hand, you have to understand Suarez's eclecticism. So when Suarez encounters a problem where his predecessors are sharply in disagreement, like, for example, uh, the, the famous one is uh, he often gets painted as somebody between the Scotists and the Thomists. But where you get this disagreement between his predecessors, Suarez likes to add a new distinction. This is something which is really interesting uh, to him. 
he he likes to try to uh, bring together the two sides of the disagreement, and and that that's a laudable goal uh, for sure. But it can also often uh, lead to dangers, like we're going to see today. So he's going to try to bring for bring together uh, the Scotus and the Nominalists on the one hand, and the Thomists on the other hand in the first question, and he's going to really make a mess of things. So uh, going back to the first question, and I'm going to be checking for uh, live chat, making sure there's nothing there. So when it comes to the the first question, the uh, in that question is that uh, whether it is of faith, a theological conclusion is of faith before the definition of the church. He's going to say that there are two contrary opinions. So the first opinion, as I've already said, is that theological conclusion is of divine faith before the de definition of the church. And that's from the nominalists and the scotists, and the, it's their whole failure to distinguish between the habit of theology and the habit of faith. And the second opinion is going to hold that the theological conclusion is not of faith before the de definition of the church. And this is the opinion of St. Thomas and the Thomists. So, and this, this is where you get one of the... Uh, central errors of, of Suarez's methodology uh, with uh, eclecticism, where it can be helpful in, in, in some <clears throat> instances of being able to uh, not have a somebody who is of a certain uh, party, uh, so to speak, so he's able to be a clear thinker and, and definitely give some insight on some issues where uh, the schools may have become a little bit of uh, a little bit stagnant on. But Suarez had no master. Um, I, I guess that, that may sound a little bit harsh, but yeah, really Suarez was, was an eclectic spirit. Uh, he wasn't somebody who was an excessively loyal Thomist. So with, with, with a Thomist, they would see, okay, the second position is the position of St. Thomas. And I don't see anything manifestly uh, at odds uh, with that position against reason. So I'm going to hold the second of uh, position because uh, I am I am of the school of St. Thomas. But Suarez didn't think like that. Uh, Suarez, again, eclectic uh, when there's disagreement. So he's going to partly agree with the first position and partly agree with the second position. Now, how, how can you do that? <laughs> uh, it, and for, for most of you out there right now, uh, you, you see that and you're like, well, Suarez, uh, you either agree that it is of faith before the definition or you don't agree that it's of faith before the definition of the church. There's no partly agreeing with this side and partly agreeing with that side. But Suarez found a way. And how did he find that way? Well, Suarez is going to make a distinction. So uh, kind of backtracking a little bit in order to explain the distinction. As we've already uh, covered, there are two types of properties. The first are those properties that are really identical, yet conceptually distinct from the starting point. So it's like in the metaphysical sciences that we talked about, the second degree of reasoning uh, that we talked about. And the second type of properties are going to be those that are really distinct from the essence. And this is going to be the third degree of reasoning, where you actually are not only drawing forth new concepts, you're drawing forth new um, things that exist uh, objectively. So Suarez is going to depart from traditional terminology. He's going to offer a new distinction by naming the first kind virtual. Oh, oh, sorry. 
the uh, the traditional terminology of naming the first kind virtual and the second connexive. So the the second the first degree nominal second degree virtual third degree connexive. Remember, uh, and and if you forget all that stuff, it, it might be helpful to to check back at uh, some of the early episodes uh, in the series. So Suarez, on the other hand, uh, he's going to provide a new distinction. He's going to change the names. So when it comes to the second degree, uh, conceptually distinct from the starting point, he's going to name those formal confused. And when it comes to the third degree, he's going to name the third degree virtual. So um, also, uh, sorry, I, I, I lost my, my uh, train of thought right there. So also, contained and formal confused is not only what we would call virtual or the second degree, but also the mere exposition of terms or what we would call nominal or first degree of reasoning. So formal confused is going to take upon itself, uh, I guess, a twofold aspect uh, in relation to the traditional terminology. It's not only going to be uh, virtual, but it's also going to be nominal. So to, to kind of summarize, Suarez is going to group together the first and the second degrees under the name of formal confused, and he's going to reserve the name of virtual, properly speaking, for the third degree. Oh, uh, Nejo uh, Mayorum, uh, Mayorum. Uh, that that's going to be I deny the major. Uh, we'll 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 see. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. We're not we're right now under uh, the the third point. Suarez's confusion. So Suarez's solution uh, to finally bring it about. Suarez's solution uh, in applying this new distinction that he makes is going to be first. He's going to say that those present in the first and second degrees of reasoning, so what he's going to call the formal confused, is given the assent of divine faith by the theologian. And then, uh, on the other hand, he's going to say those present in the third degree of reasoning, what he calls the, the purely virtual, is only given the assent of divine faith after the definition of the church. So this is, this is actually huge. Because Suarez... Uh, he's going to merely nominally keep to the traditional division. And he's going to, on the one hand, hold to the position of the Scotus and the nominalist without realizing this, because he's going to hold that the second degree of reasoning is going to be something which you hold to be of faith for the definition. But he is going to add room to try to nominally keep to the definition of theological conclusions from St. Thomas. But what's the problem? St. Saint Dom Saint, uh, Thomas did not think that the third degree of reasoning, that is a purely connexive, he did not think that the third degree of reasoning was definable. Why? Because the third degree of reasoning gave a new object. So all of a sudden you have something which Suarez can say is defined, but it's not even a revealed object. Because for St. Thomas, he's going to say, that theological inclusions, they're, they're contained in the revealed object. They're just not uh, under the same formality. Uh, they're, they're virtually contained. They're not conceptually identical, but they're objectively identical, like we get in the second degree of reasoning. So Suarez, he's really going to hold the, the, the nominalist position on this matter 
and then add on something that seems like he's agreeing with St. Thomas. It's going to be very, 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 very dangerous. We're going to see this from, uh, from this issue. Because on the what, what you have now posed to theologians, because almost every single theologian is going to take up Suarez's new distinction and be excessively confused by it. What you're going to have is you're going to have this issue. How does the church define objects that aren't revealed? Because before this, everybody's going to deny that the church defines objects that are revealed because they had a proper understanding of virtuality. They're going to say, oh, no, no, no. It, it's objectively identical. It's conceptually distinct. But Suarez, in, in making his new divisions, he's not going to he's not going to be able to say that at all. So Suarez is going to somehow have to explain to us how the church can define an object that wasn't revealed uh, by the uh, through the apostles and through our Lord Jesus Christ. And his position is is really, really, really dangerous. He's going to say that there's going to be a new revelation that throughout the history of the church, there's going to need to be these, these new revelations uh, that happen. Uh, that, that just as the, uh, just as Christ had spoken through the apostles, so Christ is going to speak through the church. Although um, he's going to say, well, the, God uses the means of elation or, or reasoning when it comes to uh, the when it comes to the church, whereas with the apostles it was something that was immediate. But still, he's saying that there's new revealed objects that have to be revealed uh, by Christ to the church. This is deadly. This is really, really, really dangerous. And almost everybody uh, in hearing this said, no, dude, you, you can't say that. You, you cannot say that there is a new revelation that happens after the time of the apostles. You can't say it. And actually, um, the uh, even the Suarez, uh, the, the Suarez, the Suarezians, even the Suarezians at, at Vatican I uh, agreed that you, you can't hold this position of new revelation. You just can't. And a lot of Suarez is, is uh, Suarez is, how, how would you say that? Suarez is, is uh, Suarez is, is sorry, uh, that his, his most uh, immediate followers, even they uh, didn't agree with his position. So now, now you kind of, Suarez has, has thrown down the gauntlet. He, he has thrown it down uh, right in front of everybody, gave his new distinctions and said, look, you guys uh, provide a better option than I have. Try, try for it. This is this is what I've done. So you have two uh, sort of responses to this. So on the one hand, you have Lugo's response. On the other hand, you have the Samantachensis, uh, the the, the Carmelite, Carmelites at Salamanca, the, the famous Thomists. You have you have these two uh, options. So on the one hand, uh, Lugo is going to start out with defining terms just as Suarez does. Just as Suarez does. This this is the issue, really. So Lugo is going to, on the one hand, deny Molina's view. And if you remember, Molina's view is that theological conclusions 
can't they they they, they just can't be uh, defined because obviously as Suarez says it's against all tradition. So he's going to have to provide some sort of tertium quid. So what he's going to say is that while a premise of faith and a premise of reason must result in a different object and be the third manner of reasoning, something that is of two premises of faith is revealed. But what he's going to say is that the premise uh, that the Holy Spirit will always preserve the church from error is a revealed premise. So he's somehow going to say that it's that it's contained. Uh, Lugo is going to say that the uh, the idea that the church will will be preserved from error uh, is a revealed premise, and that uh, somehow uh, every single declaration of the church is going to be a particular in this sort of universal statement, and thus uh, anything that the church uh, says that is part of the third degree of reasoning is going to be something which is uh, revealed, but not a new revelation. So that's a bit of a convoluted view. And if, if anybody wants me to uh, eventually uh, dismantle that sort of line of reasoning, I can. But it it does require a, a, a bit of cutting, cutting knots. But that's not important right now. I'm kind of giving a historical narrative. So on the other hand, you have the famous I deny the major of the Salmantachensis. So the Salmantachensis, they were a famous group of Thomists uh, at Salamanca in the 17th century. They are going to begin uh, their discussion of this. 17th, yeah, it was 17th century. Might have, might have went went into the early. Nah, it didn't. Definitely not. Yeah, 17th. So the Salmantachensis, they begin by defining uh, terms just as Suarez does, and they are clearly aware that Molina was the first one to deny that theological conclusions had ever been, had, had been something which was definable of faith. So further, they're also going to, they're, they're going to deny that Lugo and Suarez, they're going to deny Lugo's and Suarez's theory. So what they decide to do is they just bite the bullet. They bite the bullet and they say, look, we're not going to try to figure this out. We're just going to deny the fact that the church has ever defined a theological conclusion to be a faith. So this, this point right here in, in the history of Thomism is not to be uh, underemphasized. Uh, is now you have the first theologian since uh, Molina or at least the first major theologian since Molina that had written something of, of abiding significance who, who is going to uh, the sum on the chances in their, uh, in their cursus they're they're going to be uh, one of the most influential uh, Thomists to the entirety of the Thomistic tradition throughout the, the, the rest of um, really the history of our school. So they're going to deny uh, the the major. They're going to hold the position of Molina, and they're going to basically infect the the, the school of Saint Thomas uh, with something that is against uh, Saint Thomas's view of himself. So this is really, 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 really important uh, for the history of this question, and this is all in response to Suarez's definition of terms. So I mean, it makes sense. Um, and, and this is actually why I, I have a great deal of um, 
how do I put it? Respect, uh, at least for the decision that the Samantachensis made, because it's the right decision to deny in the Suarezian sense uh, that theological conclusions, in the Suarezian sense, that is something that is different from the object of the revealed object, is something that's definable by faith. It, it just isn't, and, and that's true. The the Samantachensis were right to say that. But where the Samantachensis uh, were wrong is they thought that was the locus of the issue. They didn't recognize that the, the locus of the issue was the change in the definition of terms that Suarez uh, implicitly has by defining the, the formal confused, which is how St. Thomas would have defined implicit, from, uh, from what he calls the truly virtual, which isn't virtual. It's, it's merely connexive. It's different objects. So that, that, that sort of is the, is the outline of the history. So until the time of Suarez, the, as I've said before, uh, the theologians were unanimous, besides Molina, in infirming the definability of theological inclusions, uh, since it was something which is virtually revealed. Uh, they say the object is the same, therefore something we can define uh, without having to do, have recourse to a new revelation. Really, the only question until this point had to do with whether it was before or after the definition of the church. So uh, with, with those theologians, uh, and this is kind of going to be uh, how we... Actually, I, I think it would be helpful to, um, let me see, kind of as, as this point of conclusion, it would be helpful to pull up a Google Doc to, to visualize this. So I want to make sure you guys get this really well. Okay. Google Doc. Sorry about that. I just thought about this, this, this right now. Okay. So until the time of, of, Molina, we can have this sort of equation right here. We can say that virtual equals definable of faith. That's going to be uh, what happens with uh, the theologians before. And then uh, then I guess you could have uh, up here is going to be St. Thomas, which obviously could be the, the right, but dang, why doesn't St. Thomas virtual equals definable by faith definable faith. And then you have uh, the, the nominalists who are a little bit less important, the Scotists, and they are going to hold that virtual equals of faith. So virtual already of faith right there. We're going to be focusing more on St. Thomas, so I guess I should put them below. And then uh, what you get by Suarez Suarez, he's going to change the first side of the equation right here. So for, for Suarez, Suarez, he's going to have a change of definition. For him, virtual is going to equal third um, degree of reasoning. So for, and then I guess we'll put here below, for St. Thomas, St. Thomas uh, virtual equals second degree of reasoning. If you don't remember, third degree of reasoning is objectively distinct. Second degree is conceptually distinct. So for Suarez, uh, he's going to change up what it means by virtual. So uh, for him, he's going to completely change the equation. So the equation for him 
becomes third uh, degree of reasoning equals uh, definable of faith. And he's also going to do this other thing that's really uh, funny. He's going to also say that uh, formal, or I guess you could say, yeah, formal, formal is going to equal the first slash second degree of reasoning. So on the other hand, you have, you have for him, he's going to have uh, first slash second is going to equal of faith. You see, he he is uh, holding the same position up here that we have of the nominalists slash, uh, slash scotists. That virtual is is of faith because virtual for for the nominalists and scotists is going to be the second degree of reasoning. Or obviously, uh, Saint Thomas and the scotists are going to agree that the first degree of reasoning uh, is already uh, something which is of faith. So this this is the the sort of um, bastardization that you get uh, by the changing of the definition of terms. So um, in our in our next step, we have uh, the Samanthachensis. We'll, we'll skip over uh, Lugo because, well, I guess we could. So so both Lugo and Suarez uh, is gonna are, are gonna hold the same position right here. That third degree of reasoning is definable of faith. First and second are already of faith. So Suarez, uh, in, in order to cut this Gordian knot, he's going to say, well, uh, third degree, since it's a different object, we're going to have to equal a new revealed object. So for Lugo down here, he's going to hold the same thing. And rather than a new revealed object, he's going to have, um, he's going to have in a uh, what is, I can't remember the, the exact term. It's like indefinite assistance. Yeah, indefinite assistance. He's going to say there's an indefinite assistance that uh, technically doesn't make it a new revelation uh, because it's a particular contained in a universal, which doesn't make sense, but we'll get into that later. So the somewhat the tenses uh, come around. So what they're going to say is they're going to focus on the second member of the equation right here. So let's go all the way down here to the Samantachensis. They're going to look here and they're going to say, well, the, the second degree of this equation uh, by Suarez, third degree of reasoning equals definable of faith. Well, uh, there, there's some issues there. There's clearly some issues. So they're going to change the equation to this right here. They're going to say virtual not revealed equals not definable as a faith. What's the problem? This term virtual. Because for them, virtual not revealed. I guess the not revealed part is important too. Virtual not revealed is going to be defined exactly like Suarez. Third degree of reasoning. So they're completely right. The third degree of reasoning isn't revealed. So it's not definable by faith uh, as of faith. Of course it isn't. But uh, they're, they're still going to hold that the, the virtual, uh, what we call virtual. So I guess I'll, I'll just do first, second degree of reasoning 
is something which is already of faith. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. We they they accidentally fell back to uh the anomalous uh slash scotus position right there. Dang it. Uh something with uh, all all roads lead back to scotus, I guess. Uh is sort of thing. So yeah, the 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 Salmonthachensis completely correct in uh giving this equation right here. Virtual not revealed equals not definable by faith. Completely correct in saying that. Really, their issue was um, was not adequately uh, focusing on the uh, the issues of Suarez with the first half of the definition. That is how he defines virtual, uh, because we would say virtual not revealed. Of course, it's not definable by faith, but virtual revealed is definable as of faith. And then uh, we would say, then on the third hand, uh, formal is definable by faith. And of course, by formal, we're defining as the first degree of reasoning. There really is a lack of distinction when it comes to the first uh, member of the equation that's going to fall into uh, the fall into the issue. So we, uh, um, I think that's, I think that's about all that I wanted to discuss. i just there in the, this uh, issue is something which continues to happen throughout. So, okay. Uh, I think that's all. Uh, thank you for listening and God bless.